Mini episode 1391 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1391. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here, and we have with us one of my favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, our FDH Hoops analyst, Ben Chu, and uh, he is here for the auspicious occasion of previewing the 2021-2022 NBA season. And uh, it, this is going to be, of course, the third consecutive year, sadly enough, where this is going to be affected by the COVID-19 situation in America and I would say North America overall, since we do have a, a Canadian team that is yet again a Canadian team this year, the Toronto Raptors. So we're going to have this hanging over the entire season. And of course, there's one player in particular we'll be talking about early on in the course of this thing. Uh, who is a big part of the conversation, but to do all of that and more, my close personal friend, Ben Chu. Ben, good to have you back in today, my friend. I'm good, Rick. As per usual, the residual checks are still in the mail, correct? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. I, I'll, I'll, I'll forward you the UPS number to look for. <laughs> that wonder. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, but uh, regardless of that, it's going to be a very interesting season overall, and, you know, it's Come, it's it, the field is even though there are many favorites, pretty wide open this year. Yes, it, it is. I think, and uh, you know, our, our joking about residuals there a second ago sort of foreshadowed where we're going to go at the outset here because you and I were talking about off air, and you were kind of schooling me on this a little bit. Is it thirty three million that Kyrie Irving is leaving on the table? Seventeen million, whatever the case may be. Uh, and, and again, and that this may well be, and there's not going to be a long lag between when we record this and we get this up, but hey, uh, it could be resolved by then. I'm cynical enough to think that Kyrie's not going to leave the money on the table. Uh, I will say this, and I tweeted something to the effect of, as a Cavs fan, let me tell all the anti-vaxxers out there who are putting their hope and their faith in him as a poster boy, uh, be careful what you wish for, okay? Expecting this guy to remain loyal, so, you know, that's... He's he's not going to feel that he is bound, you know, by any notion of principle or anything like that, or just the fact that he's the latest hero of the anti-vaxxers in this country. So this may go on, this may not go on. I know from talking to you off air that uh, you seem to think it may go a little longer than I do. Well, just in general with Kyrie's situation, and we, we also have to tend to remember, too, that he has accrued during his NBA career over $100 million and had a signature shoe with Nike and then also had other uh, endorsement deals. And on top of that, we least we forget the Uncle Drew movie that did occur as well. So Kyrie's in a very unique position because he's a veteran who has played for multiple years and has made a lot of money. And it feels like to me that I can understand what he's trying to himself accomplished through this because if he believes that he doesn't want to take the vaccine that's his own personal opinion to do do so at the end of the day and if he feels like he doesn't want to have to 
you know, if he's willing to sacrifice the 17 million to make a point, that is his protocol. Remember, the the state's also, he is also part of the NBA PA as well. So I really don't see any fines coming his way long term. It's just they would be withheld these game checks by the Brooklyn Nets. And to be honest, I wasn't also shocked by the Nets' decision to not have him report at all because it did kind of seem like a media circus to consistently have Kyrie only playing for essentially on road games for an entire season. But it also provides a very interesting sort of look into the league league right now, which, to be honest, based on the data, Rick suggests that 95% of the players have been vaccinated. So outside of Kyrie Irving and Michael Porter Jr. has come out and said that he is not vaccinated as well. It's just a very interesting scenario. And, you know, right now, I think Kyrie is one of those people that he has enough clout and he has enough money that I don't think this is relevant to him, really, in terms of, like, he... Because the argument most people would make is money. But if you're already a rich person, $17 million can't hurt, but it's not going to put you out, per se. Well, and it's it's one of these things, too, where, uh, again, Kyrie's leaked threats or not leaked threats, whatever you want to call them. Kyrie denies that his camp is leaking threats for what it's worth, that he's going to retire if he gets traded. But anyways, that would seem like a way of demonstrating your bona fides as far as your seriousness on this. If you're willing to retire, then you're not just foregoing this year, you're foregoing every salary for the next however long you would be in the league. And again, it's hard to see Somebody like him, probably more than four or five more years because he's always said that he wants to retire early. It, it, let's let's face it, his legs are not what they used to be. I mean, when he's 100%, he is as springy and as athletic as anybody, but how often does that happen anymore? So, But four or five years' worth of salary at that level is still a lot of money. So he's denying... Right, and, he, and there's also, too, right, the definition between him sitting out one season and him retiring. Yes. Well. But that's the thing, though, is that if you are willing to retire, let's let's say that he would have five more years left in him before he would have decided to walk away. Being willing to forego five years' worth of salary, that leaked threat. And, of course, you'd expect him to say, well, I've, I've indicated no such thing. But if you're putting it out there that you're willing to walk away from this year times five, then that would demonstrate to people the seriousness of intent that you're willing to sit out this year. That said... I don't know that he thinks anybody's going to blink on this because this is a thing. This is originating from the city of New York. They're not going to blink on this. Uh, Brooklyn, having made the decision, they're not going to blink. Even if they get off to a bad start, even if Durant or Harden goes down, which you know is, is always possible as they get up there in age, what are they going to do, crawl back to him? Everybody's painted themselves into a corner. If Kyrie thinks that anybody's going to come back to him and let him do it on his terms, uh, then he is he is certifiable if he thinks that. I think the question at that point too, Rick, is, is that yeah, this is Kyrie's choice, and I, I think we need to also note this too. It's like a vaccination, the narrative, at least at this time, is that it's being perceived that he's choosing not to be vaccinated because he doesn't believe in the vaccine, and at least according to his Instagram Live, I believe it was last night, that that is not the point. He just personally at least from how he described it himself was he just didn't want he just didn't feel like to be mandated to do so but again it's all it's always hard to tell because especially within these sort of movements whether it was regarding other vaccines or anything along these lines it's hard to provide a justification for someone's choice not to do something the question that we've also discussed on bears is that we 
as human beings, especially if you're being employed by someone, can be mandated to do it no matter what. And this, it's going to be interesting to see how the league takes this on with you know a relatively high vaccination rate right now and how much this can be determined as a distraction for the Nets or not. Exactly. And it is a situation where you've heard people saying in recent days that, oh, the Nets can still win a championship without him. But the necessary thing when you're building a big three like that is you tend to hollow out the rest of your roster. You don't have Levert there anymore. You don't have a couple of the guys. You had Jared Allen got to be too pricey. You had to send him to Cleveland. So any of these complementary parts that they had around him, it's not that they don't still have the Joe Harris's of the world, and it's not that they didn't draft well this year because they did, but the notion that they could still win a championship, I would certainly say could, but I mean, without Kyrie, with a healthy Kyrie, I think they're the team to beat. Without him, and let's presume that's going to be the case for a moment here, uh, I think they're one of eight or nine teams, and no better than most of the other teams in the field. What say you? Uh, I would tend to agree with that sentiment. I still put them up relatively high. Yeah. The only argument I would make again, and there's only one piece of information like you would know yourself, Rick, mm-hmm. that at this current period of time, the uh, Brooklyn team with Durant and Harden last season was outscoring teams when they were both on the floor by over 20 points. Right. So I, all of a sudden, I don't think they're going to implode. And some of these acquisitions they made in the offseason and getting Marcus Aldridge back, Patty Mills will definitely have a bigger role. The rookie Cameron Thomas is also going to have a bigger role, at least with no Kyrie. And I would say it, I still lean towards that they're the favorite in the Eastern Conference as much as I love the Bucks. They were very close last season to not making it to the – the Nets were very close to just making it last season with the myriad of injuries. So I don't think it will change the uh, overall tenure of the Eastern Conference. But what I will say, though, is I do think now that some of these other Western Conference teams might be the, – the, the margin of error for Brooklyn has has gone down at least very considerably. I agree with everything you're saying there. I still think they're going to win the Atlantic Division, and I think relatively comfortably uh, with or without Kyrie. But, uh, I mean, the way that I look at it, let's look at it in the East in terms of tiers here. On the top tier, and I do in the end have Milwaukee at this point without Kyrie and Brooklyn – I'm going to say for the moment, Milwaukee to make it through uh, in the uh, East. But I would say that the tier in whatever order, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and then Atlanta, which uh, graduated to that giant step, making it to the conference finals last year. That's sort of my cutoff at this point because of some of the questions about other teams. Miami regressed last year. Philly's got their soap opera going with Ben Simmons. Uh, To me, the top tier is those three teams. How do you see it? I would say so, too, and I'm, to be honest, for being honest, Rick, I think it's really just the top two at this point, because as much as I love Atlanta and Trey Young, I do expect kind of a conference final slump almost for them, Okay. in a way. I, I just kind of expect it just because they're a very good team, but I we've seen this before. We saw it with Portland a couple seasons ago. We saw it with, uh, let me see, if you date back to like the late 90s, the Houston Rockets and the Utah Jazz, where you have a really good year, and then the following season, it just doesn't materialize properly. Well, but, and that's why I think the Eastern Conference this year is not as interesting as it has been in previous years. Because when you have a top-loaded, often top-loaded team like the Brooklyn Nets, just offensively dominating teams, and you have Milwaukee, who has arguably the 
toughest player to guard in NBA history at any current moment in Giannis that they're just going to be it's going to be very top heavy unless something in terms of injuries or in terms of extension from either a player like Trey Young the East is pretty much a Milwaukee Brooklyn race at this point I I basically agree with that and that's what I see the conference finals coming down to the one thing I think that works in Atlanta's favor is that I wouldn't so much say that the Southeast Division is a safety net as I would a trampoline, because you've got Washington, Charlotte, and Orlando uh, all in, in that division in some degree of flux. Like I said, Miami had regressed last year uh, from their conference finals run, which, again, an excellent example. Actually, the NBA finals the previous year, so excellent example of a team slumping coming off of that. I do think Miami's going to bounce back. With some yeah, of the I also tooling. agree with that, too. I think the acquisition of Kyle Lowry and some of their pieces are definitely going to play better this year as well. I think so as well, but I, I that that's let, let's pose that as a question because I've still got Atlanta winning the Southeast, but Miami clearly making the playoffs and, and being a middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference team. How do you see it between those two? I think they're both very interesting at this point, and I think Atlanta just with the amount of was just the ability of Trey Young to be a game-breaking Steph Curry type of player to just make big shots and not be afraid of the moment is going to be big for Atlanta and they have the right coach in Nate McMillan and they mm-hmm. have the right offensive system and they're just going to get better because we at least us forget there was a big cloud kind of hovering over the John Collins situation before this run for Atlanta yep. and now he's signed long term and a lot of these pieces that we saw come on later in the during the playoff run in book run in Bogdanovich and then Cam Reddish, who I think is going to have a has a very good opportunity to become most improved player this year. So they they are definitely have a lot of pieces, but I still really like what Miami did because I think Lowry still has a lot left in the tank, and especially being allowed to play off of guys like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. I think it's going to be a very interesting team to see how they improve during the season, but it just kind of seems like to me that I agree with you. I give Atlanta the edge, but it would not shock me to see like if Miami is a team that represents the Eastern Conference, I won't be shocked by it at all. Well, exactly, yeah, because they did uh, in the 2020 season uh, where they were able to uh, to do that and uh, represent the East. Uh, as, as far as that next tier of teams in the Eastern Conference there, I started to get into it in my mind a little bit with Miami. The other teams that I would have uh, in that bunching there, uh, Indiana getting Rick Carlisle, I, I think it's going to be very, very interesting with uh, some of the pieces they have. Is Carlisle going to be somebody that can kind of take them to another level? He's been able to do that previously. Uh, Philadelphia still has a lot of talent on their roster, even if it's very much in flux. And uh, you've got other teams in there. New York, they made a big run a year ago, surprising to a lot of people the way that the pieces fit together. You and I talked about this in the offseason, not knowing how all the pieces were going to fit together in Evan Fournier in a, in a crowded backcourt. But, uh, you know, New York is still a force to be reckoned with. Boston, uh, they're a little bit more top-heavy uh, at the moment with their great wings and a lot of questions, I think, on the rest of the roster there. But uh, how do you see it fitting together as far as that second tier of, of playoff contenders and, and the teams that – uh, make a very strong case to be in the playoff field this year. Sure, and I mean, just in general, I mean, one of the more surprising teams last season was the Charlotte Hornets and LaMelo Ball, and they're going to hopefully have a better run in the play-in tournament 
which essentially was a very forgettable game against Indiana. So I, I think there will be some extension there. I don't think they're there yet, but it's going to be very interesting to see how they play. Indiana, I think, is probably one of the more dark horse teams in the Eastern Conference. You know, I mean, you get Carlisle, who we all know is a great head coach. They got Chris Duarte in the draft, who pretty much had a very solid summer league. And they still have, you know, one of the best big men in the league in DeMontis Sabonis. Malcolm Brogdon is a great guard. And if they can kind of get people back and healthy and moving and playing well, I, st- I think they're a team that can definitely go far if they hit the right sort of matchups. In Absolutely. terms of Boston and the Knicks, I think they're pretty much, it's pretty going to be very similar to see, like, I think Boston's trajectory is that, is improving the team and getting some sort of more action to some of their younger guys like Aaron D. Smith, Kate Pritchard, Romeo Langford. So it's going to be very interesting to see where Boston ends up being. I, I probably have them at the tail end of the playoff chase at this point. And I think the Knicks, depending on, it's going to ultimately come down to the health of Kemba Walker, as it seems like it was for all those years in Boston, how good the Knicks can be. But I also think if you just look at sort of the, cornucopia of how the Knicks play the game of basketball under Thibodeau is that they have a very good chance to make a deep run if defensive if off if they can keep up that defensive intensity but also improve offensively at the same point. Yes. And uh it really that's a team that needs some clarity as far as uh, you know what the first option, second option, third option, fourth option is going to be at any particular moment on the court. You assume that Randall, I guess, is going to be the default first option anytime right. he's out and, there. But we also saw two of his struggles in the Atlanta series overall. So it's going exactly. to be interesting to see if he's going to improve in his second real, his real second, third, foray into the playoffs at this point. Exactly. And, and I think, would you agree with me that, I mean, if they're going to make a deeper run than anybody thinks they're going to, it's going to have to have him graduating probably yet again to an MVP level? Pretty much, and again, if if Kemba can play well and they can get some, you know, some health, it's going to be interesting to see. They got a lot of talented young guys through the draft, and guys like McBride, and then also you'll one guy that I think is going to play a much bigger, a much bigger role for them definitely moving forward is going to be the kid they took out of Texas. I'm blanking on the name now. Sim is for his last name is Sims. He tore up summer league mm-hmm. and got an instant contract after one game, and especially with Mitchell Robinson's health coming up. Right. It's going to be very interesting to see how the Knicks, because I, I honestly believe, Rick, the Knicks are a better team than people think, and they had a very disappointing run in the playoffs. But it would not shock me if they can bounce back just a little bit. They can be in that sort of second tier of teams that can compete. It's just I just find it very hard to see any of these other teams kind of knocking off a uh, a a uh, Brooklyn or a Milwaukee at this point. And one team we also didn't really talk about that made a lot of offseason moves were the Chicago Bulls. Yes, and I think the Bulls could be one of those teams if they if all the pieces fit right with Lamelo Ball, Patrick Williams, Demar Derozan. Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic, that can be a team that could definitely make a deep run into the playoffs. Well, one of the things is is that when one of your key acquisitions is DeMar DeRozan, you, you look at a team like the Bulls, and I think it's fair to question, uh, and particularly when they offload a guy like uh, Laurie Markkinen, for a team like the Bulls, are they built to compete in an era of floor spacing? That seems to me to be one of the things that's going to hold them back. 
Right, and that's going to be one of the questions that you're they're going to have to ask. And I think the issue, my bigger issue with them, is not necessarily their front line; it's that their rotation behind that front line is not really strong in terms of shooting. So I definitely agree with your point there. Oh, definitely, yeah. And uh, by the way, for for anybody that wants to see any of the predictions I made, I personally made the ones in Fantasy Hoops Draftology 2021, available on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com, and of course, uh, so page 14, our season predictions. And uh, as I'm looking at this here, I do have Chicago in the play-in game. Uh, some other teams that uh, have a chance to make the play-in game, uh, you've got uh, Toronto, not too many years removed from uh, winning the championship, uh, drafting Scotty Barnes uh, and uh, passing uh, on the opportunity to take uh, Jalen Suggs in the backcourt there. We'll have to see how that plays out uh, for them. Uh, we talked about uh, Charlotte a little bit here. Uh, Washington and Orlando are, are both interesting uh, teams. Uh, Orlando in particular, I think, is a little bit further away from this. A lot of people would say probably also that uh, two of the teams luckiest in the draft, Cleveland and Detroit, uh, might still be a little bit uh, far removed at this point. I do think, uh, and again, a uh, lifelong Cavs fan putting it on the table, but I think if you squint just hard enough, uh, you can see a scenario where this team can make it to the play-in game. I think that has to be the goal for the team this year. Uh, I think it's unrealistic to look at an actual playoff run, but to at least make it into that, and I don't see them making it from the play-in uh, to the playoffs. But making it there, I think it can happen. Uh, one of the things that I have been uh, optimistic about I wasn't expecting this, but you're starting to hear a little bit that uh, the Cavs are entertaining the notion of playing Laurie Markin in a three. Uh, that would mean that Okoro is going to be on the bench a little bit more, which I'd like to see until that guy's shot comes around, if it ever does. The notion of the three seven-footers in the front court here, uh, presumably you'd have to have uh, Evan Mobley, the star rookie, guarding the threes at the other end. But that should address a lot of the concerns about floor spacing that have been an issue with the Cavs and also getting Garland and Sexton to take more threes because their percentages have been good. So getting them to trust their shot more. I do think there's a scenario where the Cavs, I've got them down for 34 wins, and I think that can be enough to get one of the uh, spots in the play-in game. And that is, I know, we'll just say aggressively, a minority prediction for the NBA this year, Ben Chu. Right, and I'm not shocked by that, being the Cavs homer that you are. <laughs> but at the end of the day, though, I will say the one thing that the league was trying to do with the playing tournament was essentially it was to prevent tanking overall by these teams just throwing games away at the end of the season. But the one thing that I do agree with that the format has really helped along is that a lot of these teams at the end of the season, as you know me, I've watched basketball for decades now. These games were going to be thrown away anyway, but you're now seeing some of these lower, these tier, these like third tier teams we would classify mm -hmm. now actively trying to get into the playoffs essentially. Right. And I think that's just better for the overall health of the game because then you'll 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 see better play at the end of the season, which we saw in timelines when the playing tournament did not. This was clearly not the case. I agree, and and I think it basically opens up a three step process now towards contention: crawl before you walk, walk before you run, and then run. And I would say crawl before you walk is making it to the play in game, and and for a team like my Cavs. That is a reasonable goal. The notion of maybe you could have said prior to this that the goal would be making it to the playoffs, the eight seed, but there, there's a big difference, it feels like, a lot of times between eight and ten. If you can at least become the ten seed, that gets you into the mix, that gets you playing one game, maybe two, 
that will be very useful in the development of your players for next year. If you have a good offseason and good progression, then you can look at an actual playoff run the next year. I would say that that's, that's walking before you run, and running would be actual contention in the league. So I agree with you, Ben, because I think that, that for these teams, because if you're a Cleveland, if you're a Detroit, it's time to get serious. Like you, You've bottomed out. It's time to get serious. You go as far as you can with this core and then you make evaluations after the season. Right, and on top of that too, Rick, these teams like Detroit, Orlando, Cleveland, they do have a lot of talent on these rosters. This is, these are not just three yes. bad teams with a bunch of you know yes. average NBA players. There's some real good talent on these teams still. So it's, it's intriguing to see because it would not shock me one bit to see a team like Orlando or Cleveland or even Detroit make it to the playing tournament and may possibly make some noise just with the pieces that they are currently have. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, I, and, I, and like I'll note to you too is that, I, and uh, this is a win for Adam Silver and his current regime. This is that it's injecting life into the regular season late when there isn't, and previously there wasn't anything. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think it's really impacting any real playoff spots at this current moment. I would agree with that, and I know LeBron didn't like it last year with the Lakers, but hey, the Lakers went in, they did what they had to do in the game against Golden State. The league got uh, a one-game Lakers-Golden State winner-take-all game, which, you know, they were happy about. So, you know, yeah. And then they even, they, on top of that too, Rick, if, if you even know, they also had another great game between Golden State and Memphis. They did. For a playoff spot. Yes. So, you know, I, I'd say it worked out in their favor. Uh, as far as how it went, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's a concept that is definitely working. So uh, in in the Eastern Conference, end of the day, and you and I are, I think, in agreement that it, it is still Milwaukee and, and Brooklyn, even if I do put Atlanta on that tier, I have Brooklyn beating them in the second round to make it to the conference finals. Sans Kyrie, I'm going to lean towards uh, Milwaukee, Pat Connaughton, not the biggest part of Milwaukee, but they do get him back. This year, it's just one more thing you add to it. So it, 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 it's a coin flip to me, but I'm going to say Milwaukee to repeat as the East champions. Right. I mean, I, I'm leaning just towards Brooklyn in terms of their offensive fortitude with Durant and uh, Harden, just especially if they can both stay healthy. But let's not forget Milwaukee made a lot of big moves in the offseason, too. And uh, one of their young players, Jordan Juarez, had a fantastic preseason. So. They're going to be very interesting to see because they've already won a title. They already have their big, their starting five, essentially. Their big three of Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis. But their bench is going to be really interesting. Dante DiVincenzo will probably be a little bit, we'll have, uh, we'll see how the team looks with him coming back. And on top of that, you know, they got a lot of good young talent still on that roster. And it's going to be very interesting to see how these pieces are going to start to fit with a possibility to, even if they don't win this season, right? They're a team that is locked in with that big three of guys for a while, and they should still be in contention even if they do not win this season. Absolutely. And uh, let me correct myself. Yes, you're, you're right. It is DiVincenzo coming back. Uh, how quickly I forget that I was making uh, jokes about Connaughton and uh, Michael Petrus last spring, the way that he was hitting the three-pointers there. Uh, uh, at a career rate. I, I'll, I'll, Rick, I'll also think it's like it, it probably was a distraction that Grayson Allen is now there as well, too. So. Yes, yes. That, uh, you know, so uh, it, it's uh, a very interesting uh, 
backcourt that they have. And again, you know, outside of Holiday, it is one of these things of the the sum is great, greater than the, uh, the the parts essentially. Uh, that's the way to kind of make it work. That uh, the the shooting guard position in, in Milwaukee is somewhat akin to the way that uh, the Tampa Bay Rays run their entire roster, of where you're not exactly sure how they're doing it, but they do manage to make it work. And uh, so I see that being the case yet again this year. In the West, I think you're looking at another very broad top tier, uh, broader than the East, I would say. I think in the Southwest Division, I think that Dallas uh, graduates to the level of legitimate title contender. I think they're going to be able to really separate there. And I, I think having kind of a softer division, what I think is the softest division top to bottom in the West is going to help them pad their numbers a little bit. Uh, I think in the Northwest, uh, the question is going to be how Denver is going to fare uh, with uh, Jamal Murray out a good part of the year. I, I think it will hold them back a little bit, uh, but I think they're still going to win the division. Uh, I'm saying by five games over Utah. In, in the Pacific, you've got a couple teams that are uh, legit uh, title contenders there. Everybody obviously points to the Lakers, although I have a lot of questions about how the pieces are going to fit on that roster. Many, many questions. Uh, Phoenix came out of nowhere last year to make the finals, and uh, I think they clearly have enough to stay in the mix there. Uh, you've got Golden State finally getting back the Splash Brothers together, allegedly. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But uh, a top tier in the West, I think, that is uh, pretty crowded with title contenders. Well, Rick, it's going to be a rough Western Conference this year. A lot, it's really weird, very top-heavy, good conference with a bunch of really good teams. Obviously, we're all going to talk about the Lakers. It's going to be really interesting to see how Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis all play together. They're, it's going to be interesting to see because they do have still a lot of talent. And the one thing that Rob Polinka, as you can tell, did in the offseason was definitely improve their shooting by acquiring Kendrick Nunn. Excuse me. <laughs> you see, Rick, I'm so distracted by the glitz and glamour <laughs> Russell Westbrook playing in LA. That's right. My brain fell asleep there for a second. Malik Monk also, and yes. you know, they'll they'll have Kent more there as well. So they did improve their three point shooting, as you saw in that series against Phoenix. They did struggle mightily, yeah, to hit outside shots. But I still think they're going to be a very tough team to beat but it's gonna i understand too they're also a very old team at this current point but if we've learned anything about the nba just overall old teams usually do very well in the playoffs and it wouldn't shock me to see this lakers team get to the western conference finals it is golden state i think rick is just going to be a very interesting team overall they've got they're going to get clay thompson back at some point this year we do not know the timeline yet but yeah. you know Stephen curry and the warriors will be able to rebuild it we just do what they do best. One thing that I was very impressed with the was last season was the was the play of Jordan Poole, who's going to definitely impact their offense in the totality. And seeing how they move, how they use guys like James Weissman, the James Weissman, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, and Moses Moody. Seeing how they have a lot of young talent, we'll see what they do with that young talent at this point. But I still think they're on that top tier. But we're really going to have to see more just in the totality. And with Phoenix, I mean, it, it's pretty much simple to say, Rick, they return pretty much the entire, you know, starting lineup. And yep. they will be still without Dario Sarge for most of this year, possibly into the playoffs as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see if they're able to stay the course and bounce and, and get back to the finals. But the West is just very hard, Rick. It's going to be a very interesting 
sort of kind of dance we have through most of these things. And let's, let's just not forget, we one team you didn't mention in that time, the Los Angeles Clippers, we'll get Kawhi Leonard back hopefully at some point for the playoffs. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the top tier of the West is going to sort of pan out and hash out at the end of the day. They're clearly hoping to get Kawhi back uh, late in the season, uh, no question about it. For, for Phoenix, you know, most of their young players are still getting better, Booker and Aiton, and yes, it's another year on the ageless CP3, which at some point that's got to start catching up to him. But uh, most of the uh, players on the Phoenix roster are young and still getting better. That's one of the things that is is in their favor, most definitely. Uh, And uh, again, yes, I didn't put the Clippers on that upper tier because uh, for the regular season being without uh, Kawhi Leonard, uh, that's going to hurt them. Uh, I, I feel bad also in saying that uh, my fellow Bobcat, Jason Preston, I guess is going to miss the year due to an injury. So uh, he actually could have gotten some minutes in that backcourt there uh, this year potentially, but uh, not going to happen now. Uh, two other teams that I didn't have on that tier that I think are going to be uh, very, very solid playoff contenders, teams that can definitely win at least one series, but I question their ceiling would be uh, Utah and Portland. I think that, that Northwest division, uh, they're both going to give Denver a real bruising time with uh, Jamal Murray being out for all or most of the regular season. Uh, again, Utah of the two, I think certainly has a higher ceiling. And if Donovan Mitchell can keep improving and become a real franchise player in this league, that definitely improves uh, what their ceiling can be. But uh, Utah and Portland, like most years, I think we're going to see them right squarely in the mix. Right. And the Northwest Division this year outside of Oklahoma City, it's going to be really interesting to see. Obviously, Denver is the class with Jokic's MVP campaign last year. And then, you know, we're going to see a little bit more of Michael Porter Jr., you also know too, Rick. We're going to see Park, we're going to see uh, Bones Highland, the rookie first rounder, at some point to maybe line the world a little bit. It's going to be really interesting to see how this Denver team sort of improves and when Murray's timeline comes along to determine what's going to how where to personally rank them at this point. To head to Utah, I, I think Utah of all the teams in the Western Conference, just generally looking at everything, is probably the most disrespected team right now. Let us not forget that they essentially had 58 wins in a 72-game season last year, essentially. Right. And it's going to be really, or 56-58, we parsed the number, but they essentially had all, they led the league in wins last season. They did. So I personally feel like Utah, with some of the acquisitions they made in the offseason to bolster their bench a little bit, and Rudy, with taking uh, Rudy Gay from the Spurs, Hassan Whiteside is going to be a part of that team. So, they're going to get a little deeper. They're going to have a little bit more talent and, and, and able to spread the floor. But the question I think you would agree with me with the Utah Jazz at this point is that the Jazz are getting older. Yep. And we all know Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are going to be 10 poles for that franchise for the next couple of seasons. It's going to be really interesting to see how they end up, you know, just. But it, we'll see if they learn from trying to win a bunch of regular season games and translating that to playoff success. And just to touch on Portland alone, it's going to be very interesting to see if the sort of mid-range moves by GM Neil O'Shea will be enough to keep Damian Lillard happy and staying in the Pacific Northwest. But it's going to be very interesting to see if 
Portland can kind of bounce back at a full season with Norman Powell, have a full season with Yusuf Nurkic. We'll see if some of the guys that they uh, acquired in the offseason well and uh, Larry Nance Jr. And uh, you know, possibly another guy that was kind of left on the scrap heap too, but he's also been playing well and would most likely make the roster former uh, top pick by Dallas, Dennis Smith Jr. Is gonna, has been making some waves out here too. So it's going to be very interesting, I think, Rick, to see the rest of the Northwest Division. And well, let's not forget, we uh, we didn't get to mention that really, but Minnesota's lineup right now is a pretty gosh darn good lineup. I think I expect big things from Anthony Edwards in his second season overall. And they're, they're going to be very deep and very interesting. And I figure also to just to transition, I'll go to the Southwest. And I feel like Dallas, we all know, is the class of the division. It's going to come down to if Luka gets enough help in the playoffs, Tim Hardaway Jr. will be there. Christoph Porzingis has played has played well in the preseason. And they're going to be a little bit deeper, Jalen Brunson, and at least from what I'm hearing from Jason Tias, they're going to try and do, do some more two- to three-guard lineups, essentially making Luka the de facto small forward on the four and try and get more offensive opportunities to get to the basket and make big plays. And then, you know, we're... It's going to be interesting to see the, how the rest of that division kind of shakes out. But I'm intrigued by Houston. Jalen Green had a good summer league. and They have some good pieces, including your informer, your former man crush, Kevin Porter Jr. And <laughs> Christian Wood is a fantastic young player as well. So it's going to be interesting to see where they kind of settle. It's a rebuilding year for San Antonio, and it's going to be interesting to see what they end up doing with it. But they, I expect to see big things from guys like Deshaun Murray and Derek White and it's the Southwest is just interesting, right? That's all I have to say. It's interesting at the end of the day. Oh, it definitely is. And uh, just two notes on teams you mentioned there, as far as it goes with Portland, another uh, longtime man crush of mine, DSJ. Yes, we'll see if he can get it going there. By the way, speaking of uh, Portland, uh, as I see that uh, apparently New York Times columnist uh, Nicholas Kristoff is thinking of running for mayor there. May I suggest to the civic leaders out there that at any of the mayoral debates, uh, they, they pose a question to all the candidates. What would you do to help keep Damian Lillard in Portland? Because I don't think there's probably any. You can talk rioting or any of these other things, Ben. I don't think there's anything that's more important to the civic health of Portland than keeping Damian Lillard happy and as the centerpiece of that team, but that's just my opinion. And uh, as far as it goes with Minnesota, I mean, how long have they been underachieving with top talent? And you just you fire your team president right on the on the verge of the season starting, thereby potentially making your head coach a lame duck. Potentially, I mean, you know, Minnesota always finds a way to underachieve with what they have. So, you know, it's been going back all this period of time and doing some research on another project that you and I can talk about subsequently here. Even going back to the days of Kevin Garnett and stuff on Marbury, uh, underachieving is one of the most uh, cherished traditions every Minnesota winter, at least on the hard court. Well, it's also going to be interesting, too, Rick, that they also have that new ownership group coming in with Mark Worry and, uh, and Alex Rodriguez to see what their well, sort of little imprint is going to be on the franchise. And, right. I mean, if we look at some of the teams that we didn't really, you know, that we didn't really talk about as much, Oklahoma City, I know, is kind of being dursed as the team that's probably going to finish last, but they had a lot of intriguing talent, right? In the, their first round pick, Josh Giddy, who I like coming out of the draft. 
you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander is a fantastic guard, and it's going to be interesting. He did sign his max recently, and it's going to be interesting where his sort of framework and piece is going to come into. And there, another team that I've kind of just been we didn't really talk about, but they definitely have a chance to sneak into the play-in tournament. It would be the Sacramento Kings, and they're an outstanding backcourt right now with De'Aaron Fox. Tyrese Halliburton, Davion Mitchell has been very impressive in the preseason. I think he'll be a guy that can definitely help them get to the next level. The real question I think we're going to have to ask with Sacramento, Rick, is do they have enough talent to get to that area? And if they don't get to that area, when is the reset going to happen again? Well, I mean, it's the exact opposite, too, because also Buddy Heald in that backcourt, uh, who is a tremendous yeah. player. I mean, they're almost the opposite of the Cavs. There's all these jokes about the Cavs trotting five seven-footers onto the court. Sacramento looks like their optimal lineup could be four guards, and that's a different kind of a problem for them. Right, and it's going to be interesting, too. I expect to see – it wouldn't shock me to see, because I know Luke Wallen is the guy who does like to experiment with his rosters and rotations, that you could see, like, four guards on the floor. And I think the way the NBA is trending – we say these guys are guards. We say Luka Doncic is a guard, but he has the size and ability of a power forward sure. at the end of the day. So I think the pushing of the NBA towards more free, you know, sort of more freelance in basketball, that position designations are just that position designation at the end of the day. I understand that. And, and we're in a world where people are expected to understand whenever anybody identifies as whatever they want to identify as. And yet, if Davion Mitchell was to say, I identify as a power forward, I'm not sure any of us should take him seriously, Ben. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, he, you know, at the end of the day, Davion Mitchell is a player who is very interesting. It was interesting that Sacramento took him, but I was understandable to spot. And it's going to be interesting to see how Sacramento's going to grow that team or who eventually is going to get dealt because, as you know too, Rick, you can't have four guards on a team that all want max minutes yeah. at the end of the day. Well, exactly. And as well as, and if I just circle back around to, uh, to our earlier thing about the Lakers, as far as fit goes, ball in the hands, whatever. Uh, Russell Westbrook, pretty ball dominant. LeBron James, pretty ball dominant. And Russell Westbrook, never, ever at being a guy that anybody would think of, you know, as far as being a shooter, so to speak. So how that whole roster fits together here, you did say that sometimes older teams can do better in the playoffs. The thing that I think works in their favor in that regard is being as deep as they are with potential parts you can really keep it to where there's a whole lot of guys whose minutes are in the low 20s to the low 30s I know they won't do that with LeBron and probably Anthony Davis but just about everybody else and maybe not Westbrook but maybe just about everybody else on that roster can be preserved going into the playoffs Right, and I think the biggest thing for Frank Vogel was just in general is going to be his rotation and understanding too that they do, despite, you know, the, the laughing and the discussion of, well, it's just a bunch of, I mean, we saw the memes, Rick. We all saw the memes yes. of the offseason that the Lakers had. But, again, it's getting to the playoffs and winning. And you know that if you look through the history of the NBA, you win there with veteran talent. It's very rare when a young super team comes together, like Oklahoma City did with Russell Westbrook, to make that jump right away. So, I'm a little bit less skeptical of the Lakers, but I completely understand that, again, we're we're in a situation where it's Russell Westbrook and LeBron James on the same team. And as you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be interesting to see how Russ defers to a top-tier talent because 
in previous scenarios, I, we haven't really seen him defer. Yeah, that's true. And uh, again, presumably at this point, he's going to do things differently, but uh, we'll have to see about that. Mm-hmm. I think... And one thing I will note, Rick, too, is especially during his time in Washington, mm-hmm. you, you could see Russell's offensive shot selection begin to change a little bit. And I would want to see, especially with the Lakers having Dwight Howard on the roster, to run a lot of pick-and-roll sets because that's what Russell Westbrook and Daniel Gafford with the Wizards essentially ate up at the end of the season for them to make the play tournament. That makes a lot of sense. And looking at the Western Conference playoffs, whether or not you believe my exact layout of the playoffs, which, again, Fantasy Hoops Draftology 2021, available on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com, but... Some of the things I'm looking for here, I do think we're going to get a Golden State-Phoenix 4-5 uh, matchup in the first round. I think we're going to get Lakers-Clippers in the first round because I think that the uh, the Clippers are just going to kind of eke into the playoffs with getting Kawhi Leonard back later on. I've got ultimately Denver making it past Utah and Dallas in two grueling series uh, to the conference finals against the Lakers. I'm looking for Jamal Murray. I think he's going to be back based on what I've heard late in the regular season. I think it's going to be the upset. I'm going to take Denver in the conference finals and uh, in, in what would be one of the most grueling paths probably anybody's ever gone through to win an NBA championship. I'm sticking my neck out there. Denver over Milwaukee in six in the finals, Ben Chu. Right. Well, last year, and we discussed this too, last year with, uh, I went out on a limb and took Philly to make it to the finals. Philly and Denver, that I That technically was not incorrect, but it was just not the narrative. But the Western Conference, we know it's going to be brutal this year. It's going to be really hard. I essentially just looking at these teams, I, I, I personally don't want to pick the Lakers, but I just see in the totality of it all that the Lakers are going to be probably the class. I think the one team that could beat them just in a seven-game series that could cause them a lot of problems would be Utah. I love Denver. I think Denver's a great team. I think Nikola Jokic is arguably one, could go down as one of the best big men ever at this pace with his scoring and passing level and ability. But I, I tend to lean towards, at this point, Utah is probably going to be the Lakers' biggest rivals, and it's really going to depend on where the seeding is, because I have a feeling at some point Phoenix might face LA sooner than they rather would hope than mm-hmm. the conference finals, but I I just have a sinking suspicion, Rick. This is, it's been three years, Rick, since we've had a really marquee matchup in the finals, so I think this is going to be one of those years where the league makes it happen, so we're going to see a Lakers-Nets finals, and I think at this point I'm going to lean towards Brooklyn. It's weird. I don't, as we've gone through these previews, I never pick chalk usually, but this just feels like a chalk year to me. Yeah, and honestly, look, Brooklyn over the Lakers in the finals, that's where I was headed. And then I really kind of started to look again at the fit on the Lakers, and that's the whole thing. Clearly, you think the fit on the, with the pieces is going to be uh, working right. well. And again, look, with all the talent that they have there, with everything they've accrued, and yes, a lot of older talent and everything like that, I think the Lakers should be the favorite if they can make it all work. And that's one of the biggest questions of this season. Can the Lakers make it work? Right. The real question I like to say, Rick, is can Russell Westbrook make it work? Well, yes. And that's a huge... There's no, we, for now, we have not seen a single instance where Russell Westbrook has made it work in the playoffs. Yes. And, and that's the biggest of the can they make it work in all these different ways. The biggest subset of that clearly is can they make it work with Russell Westbrook 
I think they can make it work well enough to make it uh, back to the Western Conference Finals. But I don't think further than that at this point. Again, Brooklyn, I would pick them probably to win it all if they were going to have Kyrie. Doesn't look like they're going to at the moment. Like I said, knowing Kyrie, that could change by the time this this thing is posted some hours from now. And I end up looking dumb because of that. But uh, we'll see how long he sticks to his guns. But uh, the one thing that we do know, uh, you don't have to be Nostradamus to predict every time out. A great segment with me and you talking basketball, Ben Chu. Can't thank you enough as always. Uh, it's, it's never a problem, Rick. And as per usual, until the residual checks clear, I'll keep. I'll still have to wait out. The, you know the the predictional narrative of the NBA season. That's right. That's right. Go down to UPS and wait for that some bitch to come in, my friend. But uh, thank you very, very much for your uh, help here and a great segment, Ben Chu. Appreciate it as always. And thank you everybody for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode thirteen ninety one.